Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. That sounds familiar. We have a pretty normal crew of the Render here today. And we're going to talk about the magnum opus of my life. Wow. This podcast wow. is the best podcast. Mr. Newcomb's opus. That's ever been created, none accepted. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's my a bold, opinion. That's a bold statement. It is statement. a bold opinion. statement. That's my opinion. Let me introduce who is here today. I have my lovely wife, Missy Newcomb, to my left. Hello. Great to have you here. Great Misty, to be here. Thank you. To Misty's left, Brent Reeves. He almost did it again. <laughs> Brent Reeves. How are you, Brent? I'm good, brother. Okay. Glad to be I here. I want to hear what you think about this this okay. podcast. All right. I'll listen to, to it. To Brent's left, Ben Legrone. Thanks for Long having me. Long time, buddy. You've been here a couple times on the Bear Grease Render. One, a couple times, one time. If you've been here one time, you've been here a couple times. That's right. That's right. And Ben, yeah. Ben feels particularly familiar today because he has a 1980s Bass Pro Shop hat on. Yeah, those are hard to come by these days out here. Yep. Or well, maybe not hard to well, come by, but they're popular. That's why I wore the meat eater shirt to make sure there wasn't too much of a, <laughs> oh. a clash, clash of, here. Yeah. of companies. You yeah. got his meat eater shirt on. To Ben's left, Josh Lambridge, spillmaker. 
who's been rec- is starting to get recognized once every other week. Yes, it's my micro celebrity grows <laughs> by the every other week, well, bi weekly. Tell, tell us where someone I was got, like. I got recognized by a great young man by the name of Jacob down at the tool local tool rental business, <laughs> doing some remodel work on my house. I had to go rent some tools. And, and he was like, are you Landry? Hey, well, he asked me my name, and I was like, Josh Billmaker, and he goes, are you familiar with the Bear Grease podcast? Said, I said, way too familiar. <laughs> he said, what's your middle name? <laughs> yeah. And you were like, Landbridge. <laughs> that's right. Saving America uh, one Landbridge at a time. That's great. To your left, the man who's been missing for a couple of episodes. The paterfamilias. Gary Believer Newcomb. Good to be here. Yeah, man. Good to have you. Yeah. Thanks to Gary. I've been, list- to I've been listening to your stuff. That last render group was really good. Did you like them? Yeah, I really did, man. I Down mean, at the Squirrel yeah, Coon Camp? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Good, good to hear. Good to hear. Hey, I'm like all business today because mm-hmm. today is a monumental. This is a monumental Bear Grease render because we are. Well, let me back, let me back up one step. Yeah, you're going there all in. Really fa- mm-hmm. There is such a thing. There is such a thing called the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Which is a very yes. real thing. This isn't a joke. Like one day, I believe there will be a mountain somewhere in the Ozarks with the faces of these people carved into it. Bear Grease Hall of Fame, very real. Men who qualify, women who qualify, people who qualify to be in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame have very, some very evident and some very intangible qualities about their life that make them shoe-ins. And sometimes these qualities are hard to articulate, but when you see it, you know it, okay? The current, it's a lot of foreshadowing. Uh-huh. The, current, the current Bear Grease Hall of Famers are, number one, my dear friend, James Lawrence James from Lawrence. Mena, Arkansas. Yes. Long time, you know, I, I've used the word mentor. That's probably not the best descriptor of him to me, but we, we love James Lawrence. Love James. Very Mountain deserving. man, Very backwoods deserving. man. Incredible Washtenaw Mountain deer hunter. Humble, honest, hardworking. A lot of good things about James. Yep. Number two, Warner Glenn. Warner Glenn, 87-year-old cowboy from Arizona. We got a film coming out about him. That is going to be on the Meteor YouTube I'm channel. Excited, just I'm excited my about this. And there's a, the, a film premiere, yeah, that on March the third in Bentonville. Can't you wait. going, Ben? Oh yeah, I bought my ticket today. Yes. Hey, uh, give can is it is it too uh, soon? Too, uh, I mean, can we by just... this time? I'm certain. I hope that all the tickets are sold. Well, let's... we only had 200 tickets. Okay. The venue we got could just hold 200 people in and Northwest so Arkansas. We 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 put it up. 200 tickets are sold. So if you don't have a ticket, I'm very sorry. But maybe we'll do this again. But Warner Glenn, when you meet a cowboy like him, you would think you were going to meet a proud man. Warner Glenn is one of the most humble guys I've ever met. Hardest working. Just no one ever told he was told him he was cool. He doesn't right. to this date. He doesn't know that he's cool. Okay. When he sees a film about himself, he's going to be like, "I'll be darn," you know, that kind of guy. Okay. James Lawrence, Warner Glenn, Roy Clark, my. Dear friend, Roy Clark in East Tennessee, plot man, multi-generational plot man and bear hunter. Just a relic of a man, a relic of Appalachia. He grew up in a family where alcoholism was a pretty big deal. Roy Clark made a decision when he was a young man that he wasn't going to touch the stuff. And he has been a bear hunter's bear hunter ever since. I don't think he's ever 
been out of a pair of overalls. I have never <laughs> seen the man wear a pair of pants. Incredible, world-class bear dogs. That's Roy Clark. Okay. Number four, Daniel Boone. God rest his soul, Daniel Boone was one of America's first heroes, and he forged much of what, especially people who live close to the land and hunting, what we know of the American identity, so much of it came from Boone. The love of wilderness. People used to be afraid of wilderness. In the Dark Ages, people wanted to get as far away from wilderness as they could. Wilderness is where you went to die. Daniel Boone went into the wilderness, the, the American frontier, and came back with, with, with articulation that the world had never heard before about the beauty of the wilderness and the, and the beauty of solitude and the, living one with nature. He was 50-something years old before he ever became famous. So all the stuff he did that made him famous, he did before he was ever famous. So he wasn't trying to show out. Incredible, incredible man. Daniel Boone lived to be 84 years old. Mm-hmm. And just had with scrapes with death that would blow your mind. Okay, number five, Frederick Gerstocker. Frederick Gerstocker was a German that came to Arkansas in 1837. He stayed here for about six years. He did. He spent quite a bit of time within 20 miles of where we where yeah. we sit today in the Ozarks. He was a young, educated German that just kind of wanted to get away from his 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 background in Europe and he you know they had money and he came to Arkansas and he was the first guy that came to the backwoods of Arkansas and came out with this glowing review of the people and the way they lived which was massively contrasted with like who we talked about in this podcast about schoolcraft mm-hmm. most guys came down here and went and reported back to the world that this was a backwater just rough dirty place full of scoundrels. Well, Gerstocker came here and he said that these were some of the finest people on planet earth. And he, and he stayed with families and he was a big hunter. And in one of the first podcasts I did called the death of a bear hunter, that story, we know that story because Gerstocker and he was, he was on a bear hunt with dogs where his acquaintance uh, Erskine was killed about 25 miles from where we sit in the Ozarks. Incredible man, incredible writer, yep. an incredible romantic. That, that, that's a phrase that people would use to describe how someone views reality in a way. Yeah. And I like romantics because you could, you could make a decision tomorrow that your life is terrible and that the world is no good. Or you could wake up and be like, you know what? It's a pretty good place. Frederick Gershaw, number five. Number six, the current last member of the Bear Grease Hall of Fame is none other than George McJunkin. He was, the, he was born a slave in the 1850s in Texas, moved out to New Mexico after the emancipation, became a landowner, became a big ranch hand, and was a very intelligent man, an educated man, learned to read uh, on a chuck wagon uh, cattle drive, he was, uh, he was a naturalist. He collected bones. and he Amateur took, archaeologist. He, 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 made, he made mechanisms to measure the, the wind speed and direction. And one day, he was out riding, riding his horse, and he came across an unusual bone pile sticking out of the ground in this arroyo. 
And he goes, those are not normal bones. He takes a couple of the bones home with him. It was in 1908. He spends the next over 10 years trying to get people to come out and look at the bones. He'd go back into town and talk with people and say, hey, y'all, somebody needs to come out here and look at this. They never came. He dies in 1923. So it's 15 years he tried to get people to come out there. He dies. And literally three months after he dies, an amateur archaeologist goes to this place where they're like, George said there was a pile of bones over here. They see the bones and they go, oh my, after they send them somewhere. And then they go, these are the bones of a bison antiquus, which is an ice age bison that was is, is no longer here. And some museum says, well, we got to excavate those bones. They start excavating the bones and they find stone points inside inside of the bones, indicating that these animals weren't, this wasn't just a pile of dead animals. These animals were killed by humans. And at the time, the, the greatest minds on planet Earth, with all the data, all the information, would have been no different today than the great minds of our time telling us something that was a matter of fact. No different. I mean, it would be like them saying, absolutely, this is the truth. They believed that humans had been in the North American continent for about 3,000 years. Well, they knew that these bison bones were over 10,000 years old and that these, it, by finding these stone points, it meant that they had, humans had been here for over 10,000 years and it totally rescripted how long humans had been in North America. And that became the Folsom point. The, they found Folsom points there. And so George McJunkin, African-American cowboy, found this site and died before he ever knew that it was there. We salute you. Yeah. So those are the six current Bear Grease Hall of Famers. Today, this day, we are going to induct Josh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going Land to induct Rouge. because he he's wearing a cool mustache. <laughs> Brent's wearing the overalls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, y'all are picking up on the wrong intent. <laughs> Brent's like Roy Clark wore overalls every day. Of his life. I'm trying to get in. Uh, none of them had great must or notable mustaches. Um, so maybe that's okay. No. Tell me Gershocker didn't have a notable mustache. I, I mean, well, come yeah, on. I'm sure he's a big name. Yeah. 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 Big beard. There's some photos of him later in his life. So we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna put on the table the proposition to induct not one, but two men what? into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Mm. And so the way this works, we're gonna give Ben voting rights today okay. because he's uh you know, the rules change. As, as as my whims change to suit our needs. <laughs> so Let's Ben get to is know. not necessarily a regular, but I I know Ben's character and judgment for long enough that we're going to give him an active okay. vote in something that cannot be repealed. Mm. No historical revisionist will ever be able to come back <laughs> and tell me that Warner Glenn did something wrong. I don't care. All right. So irrevocable. Once in, always in. Okay. The man that I would like to put on the table to be inducted into Bear Grease Hall of Fame. I have no idea a, where you're there going. There will be a vote. There will be a, we will go one by one and you will vote yay or nay. Okay. The man I would like to induct into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, it's, it's overdue. Holt Collier. Holt Collier was born in the 1850s, died in the 18th, in the, and died in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And his story is too long to tell. He fought for the Confederate Army. He became a nationally renowned bear hunter with dogs in Mississippi. 
He guided President Teddy Roosevelt on multiple bear hunts. Holt Collier was a deputy sheriff. Holt Collier shot and killed uh, two white men, shot one white man, and was never acquitted. Was was acquitted of all charges. He was a a a, a brilliant man, and he was from Greenville, Mississippi. He's buried in Greenville, Mississippi, to this day. That the series that we did on Holt Collier was incredible. Just yep. learning his yep. story. Yeah. And and what's so wild is that his story is hardly known by America. Yep. There's one book written by, written by minor Francis Buchanan, a lawyer in Jackson, Mississippi, who wrote a book on Holt Collier. That's it. And it's hard to get. He now has books. He he made after the podcast. He reprinted the book. Awesome, because I'm still getting DMs. Yep. He he Trying reprinted the it. book. Okay. And so you can now go to Minor Francis Buchanan's website and awesome. order the book, Holt Collier. Well, Brent seconds the motion. So, Misty, what say you? Yay. Brent. Yay. Ben. Yay. Yay. Josh, yay. Yep. Gary. Yay. Yay. Yay, yay. Clay, yay. <laughs> All right, Holt Collier is now Seven officially. people. In the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Gary voted twice, and this I don't blame big. him. Gary voted twice? Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, but I'm all in. Good. Put me down for five. He's a worthy candidate, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are yeah. we sure. inducting someone else, too? Yeah. So this is this is a big day. Big day for Hulk Collier. Okay. <laughs> the second person that I would like to induct into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, irrevocable by historical revisionists <laughs> 100 years from now. If, you, if you're 100 years from now listening to this on some archival mechanism that you can listen to stuff like this you can't change this i would like to induct tecumseh oh the shawnee the shawnee leader incredible the 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 really when i do these series i i just i just get into these guys and i just feel like i know them and we did a a big three-part series just finished it on tecumseh his name means a panther crossing the sky. He was a visionary. He was he he led the largest combined Native American forces against the United States of any Indian leader in American history. Basically, he was the biggest threat to American expansion westward by by Native Americans. And he was he was considered by some to be one of the greatest Potentially, and it is, it is so speculative because we don't have no recordings of him, but by evidence by the way that he could move people, one of the greatest orators in American history, potentially. A great warrior, great hunter, walked with a limp his whole life because when he was 21, he fell off his horse when he was hunting a bison. Incredible man, incredible resoluteness. Died when he was 45 years old, prophesied his own death. Shawnee leader, Tecumseh. Misty, what say you? Yes, as long as we call him by his proper name. To come fifth. That's right. <laughs> okay. Good answer. Good answer. Brent, what I'll say you? Yay. Yay. But I'll have to pull a tooth or two to get to come fifth consecutively <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. But yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Ben, definitely. Ben's in. Josh, I'm in. Absolutely, Gary, in. You're in. Yeah. I'm in. All right, let it be heard. We've now inducted. Two new people into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. There's now eight. We'll have to eight. get the engravers over here. What did Yul Brenner say? Monument. So let it be written. 
So mm. let it be done. That's right. This is big. This is big. Excellent. Well, now we're going to talk about my magnum opus. <laughs> I'm told that means that it's like the work of your life. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, the Big Bear of Arkansas. This, uh, this short story, I read it years ago, and I most likely learned about it from Brooks Blevins' book that I read years and years ago. His book, Arkansas, Arkansas, which we're going to talk about a lot. The book is titled Arkansas, spelled the normal way, with a, with a, with a hash mark, Arkansas, spelled with a W. That's the title of the book, Arkansas, Arkansas. And he, he talked about this, this short story, Big Bear of Arkansas, the Southwest humorists. And what's so interesting to me is that everything's so complicated. Like stuff just, you kind of have these simple stories of the way things happen. But when you really look into it, it's really, it's really complicated. And th- this guy, this fictional character, Jim Doggett, kind of branded Arkansas. As a parent, nothing keeps me up at night more than the idea of something happening to my children. But if something happens to me and I'm not around to protect them, that's a true nightmare. Having term life insurance for myself is crucial because I can rest easier knowing my children and loved ones can have some financial support even if I'm not there. That's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. Having life insurance just gives me that extra confidence Throughout the day, knowing that my family will be financially cared for if something bad happened to me. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating Mom's Frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura Frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura Frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. 
Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Brent, what did you think of the podcast? What stood out to you? Was there a part that was fun? Did it, was it surprising? What what stood out to you? Well, I'd never heard that story before. I was totally ignorant of that amongst a volume of things I'm totally ignorant of. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of ironic that a he set the tone and the idea that people that that weren't from here had Arkansas, and it was a guy from New York that did it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty Wasn't crazy. that interesting? Yeah. That was totally removed. Might as well have been on the other side of the planet, you know, as far as his relationship to what was going on right. at that time here. He was, he was as he was coming down the river on that boat, he was seeing it for the first time too, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of ironic. Yeah. But he did such a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Even in the way he told the bear hunt, it was clear. I don't think people told Thomas Bangthorpe about about bear hunting because he knew some of the it was intricate details yeah. mm-hmm. about about the way bears bay a dog, mm-hmm. yeah. and about the way a big bear will walk a pack of baying dogs. Mm-hmm. It's something that you, you would you got the or I got the idea he'd seen it before. Well, if I described that to someone who had no context for bear hunting, and then I said, "Okay, go write a story," they wouldn't include that because mm-hmm. right. it's really it's it's kind of unusual to see a big old bear surrounded by a bunch of dogs, and the bear acts like they're not even there, nonchalant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 like what's happening here, and I think he had to have seen that, and then and then all kind of stuff. I mean, even the way... If that was a coincidence, it was like a bolt of lightning. And I don't think it was. Yeah. I think there's some... One of the things, you know, when you see somebody else or when you see another culture, you pick out things about that culture that they don't even realize they do themselves. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a piece of this is that he... The description, the man telling the story sounded like my uncle's. I mean, that it was like, oh, yeah, that's... I know the type of person that's telling the story. I can see it. I can hear it. I can, I can feel it. And I think it has to be, you, you never know what would stand out to someone who had never done something before. And so I agree. He probably did see a bear hunt before because that would stick out. But 
almost like as an unfamiliar person with it, not mm-hmm. like a routine bear hunter, but as someone who who saw it once and was kind of surprised well, by all that he saw. It was clear that he was he was enamored with folk speech is mm-hmm. what it was said about him after literature experts were able to analyze his whole the breadth of his life as a writer. So he always was like going in somewhere and talking like they talked. And so to be able to do that, you've got to be an astute observer mm-hmm. of culture. And, yeah. And these guys that were writers, especially back then, I, I I sometimes think the modern media is so easy for us to get that it dulls our senses about about people and perceptions. I don't know. Everything's spoon fed to us so much. Mm-hmm. These guys, the only the only entertainment, the only media they had was either going to like a live performance of something, which would have been rare, and the written word. And so a writer, like Renella said, back in those days would have had the average writer back in those days would have had a more powerful command of the English language and of their craft than than probably the writer today. Right. And uh, but it, it's clear that he was an observer of rur- typically rural culture. Yeah. You know, if you listen to a, if you're traveling and you're in Alabama and you watch a newscast, the local newscast, they talk just exactly like the people do in California. And that and Montana and Arkansas, they there's, and a lot of them I'm sure are from different places. But like even the people, the that, newscasters, the newscasters that are from Arkansas that are on our local statewide television, they all they all talk the same. You talk different than me. We talk different than Josh and Ben. So it all what I'm saying is back then he paid a lot more attention to and I guess. Everything that's now is is fed or designed to be appealing to everybody's ears. To the masses. Mm -hmm. And back then it was, hey, this is exactly what this folks, what these people sound like, or this particular person in this particular spot. Yeah. So that was cool to me. Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that about newscasters. They try to find people that have what's what's the the name for an accent that is just so neutral. uh, like a neutral, like a neutral yeah. American accent. Yeah, St. Louis. Yeah, mid kind of Missouri, like mid That's Midwestern or something. Yeah, that Midwestern. I think Christy has one. I think Christy has one too. Mm. Josh's she has wife, Christy, no accent. Mm-hmm. Really, you think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same. Do with you my not wife. think so? She's from the Midwest. <laughs> Who? Je- my wife's yeah. from the Midwest. How does one yeah. come across a not having an accent? Well, they they do one. that. Politicians typically do better on a national scale if they have a generic yeah. accent. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I believe it to be true. I don't know if it is. Do you have anything to back well, it up? I just any. I think about. <laughs> I think about. Like to be Bill honest, Clinton. of all people that I thought would come up on the Bear Grease podcast, I, I heard them say that Barack Obama had a very generic accent. Like he wasn't Southern, he wasn't Northern, he wasn't this, he wasn't that, and they say that he's one of the greatest orators. Uh, of American presidents in a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true when I think about also other, other, in terms of like preferences, you know, I, I agree 100% with the statement. I think Barack Obama was an incredible order. I think if you look at our very own Bill Clinton, you know, he had an accent. Yeah. And people liked sure. him and they found him charming. And, and you look at but his... But it's because people like people from the South. If you look at his campaign, like that is that is not 
That not is where true. I was going with that, but not where I was going. I didn't say that wasn't true. I was saying that's not where I was going with that. <laughs> but I mean, I think he he actually appealed to people because he had that folksy yeah. capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like, so I'm kind right. of disagreeing with what you said. Di- I think there's back. a difference, though, between Southern and folksy because, because there was a charm in the way that Bill Clinton would speak that drew people in. However, you don't always get that just with the with a run of the mill southern accent. I did not inhale. And man, you know what's wild? Is like there Brent. is no run of the mill southern accent. For right. There is. When I go It's true. 15 miles from right here yep. to the farm that I've deer hunted on for 20 years and talk to that landowner who is as connected to this place as it's possible to be. He has a very unique yep. Ozark accent. When I interviewed Ori Province, 35 miles south of here, very isolated in the Ozark Mountains. He had a very unique accent, different than this guy over here, also in the Ozark Mountains. Um, I mean, when I when I first left my home, the home of Gary and Judy Newcomb, and went off into the world, um, Misty says that when I would come home, we realized how big of an accent like Dad had. Oh, and, it's and funny. And my accent would increase. Yeah. But when I was away, it was it was kind of less. I mean, like totally unconscious of what was happening. We have a home video of Clay and his dad talking, and it's almost comical to listen to because in the conversation you hear Clay talking more Newcomb Southern. Yeah, you know but, what's what's interesting about that to me is that my dad taught at what we called a country school back when I uh-huh. lived in Hot Springs. You know, a pretty good sized place for Arkansas. And he was he was ten or fifteen miles out of town at what we called a country school, Cutter Morning Star. It, no, it was Fountain Lake. Now it's okay. a big school, you know, for okay. Arkansas. And uh, I went there third, fourth, and fifth grade, and I picked up this accent. My oldest sister went there. I guess she was about in the seventh grade when we moved there, and she stayed there all through high school. She's got the most country <laughs> accent you've ever heard. And my other sister stayed at Hot Springs, and she has what you'd kind of think of as a neutral accent. Hmm. And and uh, just being being in that country school for three years, hmm. I developed this country accent, which I think it's not as bad as it used to be. And bad might not be the right, right. word. It's probably not as distinct as it was right. twenty years ago. Well, and then and then you go down into Brent's part of the world. Which Brent lives three hours from me down in the flatlands, and you used to live even further south mm-hmm. than that. And the accent down there is very different. So, point yeah. being, there's not really a southern accent mm. that everyone could get behind. Yep. Perhaps there's certain words, but uh, but anyway, Thorpe was able to to pick up on something very unique. But truth be known, to me. I would I would like to think everybody in Arkansas in 1841 was like Jim Doggett, but mm. the reason that this was a fantastic story is because Jim Doggett was exceptional. He was a caric- he was he was an exaggerated caricature of probably a I'm not going to say a small group of people because there were a lot of a lot of backwoodsmen and hunters, but there were also a lot of people in Little Rock that were that were trying to get away from that. We're trying to get away from that image that, like Bob Cochran said, they wouldn't have liked this story. They would have been like, that's not who we are. And and there's still people like that today mm-hmm. that are that are trying to move away from yeah. this this image. But no, that's a good 
That's a that's a good one. Um, I want to go around the room and just get your just like what stood out to you, whatever it was. Ben, what stood out to you? Well, I think what I was pondering a lot during the episode, is, and and I look forward to to the next episode because I think you're probably going to hit on this a lot is just how fast that formed an identity around Arkansans. Yeah. And yeah. I was looking at it from a real broad, like human picture of like, man, why, why are we all so quick to try to put a certain people in a box to understand it? I think there is a desire to try to understand and identify the similarities so we can relate to people, identify the differences so we can better understand them. And sometimes as humans, we try to compare ourselves to make ourselves feel better, you know, but I thought that was a really interesting part of, of that story and how that formed the, the identity of Americans. And it made me think about just in my own travels, I've been fortunate to travel the world some, but I really like what the professor said about whenever you shine a light, you, it actually makes the space bigger. Wasn't that a good analogy? That what was, was his really name cool. again? His name was Bob Cochran. Okay, Bob, Cochran. Bob Cochran. Jessica, my wife, had like five classes with him. Oh, is that she, right? He is like her hero. I was listening oh, to her in the real? kitchen during lunch today. She was like, Bob Cochran. In fact, <laughs> like. He's a cool old guy, man. He's like yeah. 75 or something. In the honor working. school, like all these. <laughs> like the believer. All these students like loved him. And they had this kind of this joke of like, does Bob Cochran know your name? Well, he knows my name. You know, it's yeah. like the competition. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's Just cool. a brilliant man. Well, I really like that. And, you know, I'm talking about when the light shines on on something you're um did, did that analogy i had to think about that a little bit before it made sense did it make sense to everybody oh, yeah yeah right away yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well okay. and I, i'm not that smart and i thought Maybe. about just my experiences in traveling so when i was in college i taught english in cairo egypt and got mm. to live in a muslim culture that over over in america did you wear that bass pro hat i did not <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, you know in america by that point that would have been like I don't know, like 20, uh, 2010, maybe 2008, something like that. People had a very preconceived notion of Muslim life. Yeah. And I really enjoyed getting to know that culture for real. But the more I got to know the culture in Cairo, I quickly found out it was very different than the Egyptian culture. Right. And Alexandria, you know, only a couple hours in North, mm. very different than Jordan or Syria and but the more ignorant you are, you kind of just lump everybody into a certain group. Yeah. And so the more ignorant, not in a derogatory way, but literal literally, literally, yeah. like if yeah. you don't know, yeah, you would think all these people are the same. Kind of like we talked about on the Tecumseh episode that in general, a lot of Americans would think Native Americans were just one group of people. Yeah. yeah. But they were actually very vastly mm -hmm. different yeah. than yeah. hundreds of tribes. And so it's caused me to do that less, like less generalized and be genuinely interested mm -hmm. when I meet somebody from somewhere, not stereotype. And I used to get so annoyed when I would meet people from big cities and, you know, found out I was from Arkansas. You hear the same questions. Oh, yeah. They all wear shoes. First Did you marry, shoes. Yeah. you marry your cousin? I mean, this that classic stuff. It's not that weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I carried that inferiority complex, like, uh -huh. like you kind of hinted on by the next episode. But I've changed to where now I'm, when when I get those responses, I almost not pity them, but I was kind of like, oh wow, like you really don't know that 
you're the ignorant. <laughs> you really, you've never <laughs> been to Arkansas. Do you not love Walmart? It, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, wow, your worldview is real small because what I've learned is just everywhere you go, there's something interesting about every place and every person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, but I, you could just see back then when media is so limited how that one story would catch catch fire, yeah. and they would just brand your way of viewing that, well, that people. And these are things we just didn't have time to go into on this, but that story, just, okay, let's go back. If there was a company, if there was a YouTube channel that did really good in a certain space, like in the hunting space, what would happen? That YouTube channel would be copied, yeah. and other guys would start doing yeah. the same stuff. Exactly. I mean, there's a thousand examples. Yeah. From meat eater to the hunting public to, I mean, just like a thousand, yeah. like everybody to cut. Well, when this story came out and it did so good, it was published in New York City and went all across the country and everybody talked about it, everybody loved it. And then so what happened is that a bunch of boys in Arkansas started writing about bear hunting. <laughs> and so it kind of fed on its own, on its own gravy, you know? Yeah. Mark Twain. Well, and yeah, and then later Mark Twain would 20, 20 pick years. up on that on that type of stuff. But um, what I what me and Doctor Blevins talked about, which wasn't on the cut, which is what's so great about the Bear Grease Render, if we can talk about this, That's is right. that as much as I would love to say Arkansas was the bear hunting capital of the world during that time, it was. I mean, it it it, it was as good as there was anywhere. But it certainly wasn't the best. Yeah. Right. They were bear hunting everywhere. It yeah. was the creation state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, but, you know, in Mississippi, they were killing bears like crazy. Yeah. In Missouri, they were killing bears. Yeah. In Kentucky, they were killing bears. So it, it, the, us becoming the bear state was really tied to this media mm. branding it. And, and, and that is really interesting. And I said on the podcast that this is a – pretty darn near new to earth experience of media and in bear grease in the bear grease world we think about the world and the massive big picture of history yeah humans have been around for a long long time and media with printing and audio and video is an extremely new thing to mankind Mm -hmm. not the idea of marketing i'm sure the Folsom hunters would have gone to their neighbors and been like dude you should try out this. Have you point. seen this, <laughs> point, <laughs> this point, Jack? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they were marketing. They were they were buy one today, get one. <laughs> but but and and not that marketing media are different things. They're kind of lumped together. But point being, it's pretty new. In 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 the media like we have today is a completely new human experiment. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has never been anything like this before. Yeah. Or <laughs> you're being so you're being you're being told so many stories. And they all have an agenda. I mean, just like the Big Bear of Arkansas, I don't think Thomas Bangthorpe's was want, Thomas Bangsthorpe was wanting to brand Arkansas as a bear state. That was the last thing in his mind. But it did it. People took it for that, you know. And then uh, there's another real famous guy that was actually more famous than Thomas Bangsthorpe named Pete Whetstone. He wrote under the name Pete Whetstone and wrote hundreds of articles. He was from Batesville, Arkansas, and he talked about bear hunting all the time. It was, it was just same a little bit later. A little bit later. Just like maybe just even a few years later. Oh, wow. But uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, Thorpe, this was the pinnacle of his writing career. Hmm. And the second 
best was did y'all understand what Cochran was saying? He said that the Big Bear of Arkansas was the pinnacle of Thorpe's career. And it happened early on in his career. And he said the second best, most receipt, well received short story that he wrote was called A Piano in Arkansas. Oh yeah. And he said it was trivial compared to mm. It took a it took a minute to tell. Yeah, wasn't it like one paragraph? Wasn't it a good story though? I thought it was a good story. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. I thought it was funny, but but it was a story like we would tell today. It didn't have all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, It was like the chandelier story that Jerry Clower told. I mean, it was that quick. Right. I think I think one of the things that I I really appreciated about the story is, I my when I was in high school, I had a teacher named Mrs. Mrs. Shoemaker. Mm. And she was a very strict English teacher, but there was something about her that made you love English, made you love vocabulary. She just, she built that into us. So I've always had a great appreciation for someone who could paint a picture in your mind. And I love the way it's not just the story, it's everything surrounding it. Yeah. And so when you when you picture him on the riverboat and you you know you picture him tall you picture him in boots you know mm-hmm. what I mean when he tells when he says I, the line that I liked was um, I didn't know whether the dog was made for hunting bears or <laughs> yeah bears. bear was created for the dog thought. yeah, yeah. I, I loved that I love those those phrases that just make you it's a really novel idea you know yeah. and I I appreciate that about the hey, story let me say something. This podcast, we're recording this podcast you're listening to right now on the day that this podcast came yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I've already been, somebody's already sent me a post that someone put on Instagram and they have their, their squirrel dog sitting in the driver's seat of their truck and they take a picture of him and he's all astute looking out the window at squirrels and it says, I don't know if he was made to hunt squirrels or squirrels were made for him to hunt. Somebody, uh, they stole me to the punch, it. man. That was going to be my next Instagram post. That's good. Go ahead and post it anyway. Yeah. That's good. So, so yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, the, the, the story of the piano in Arkansas, is a, it's a cute story, but it doesn't create the, it's almost like as you hear him tell the story, it's like, it's like the pictures are unfolding and like someone's painting it as you're walking through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I really, I have a great appreciation for that. Yeah. I think that was, to me, one of the, I really enjoyed the part where you and Steve Ranella talked about just language and, and, and how, how they had such a strong command of the language. And I think it really is something that is missing in modern, in modern discourse. And I, you know, Brent and Clay sometimes get on these these kicks where they write each other via text in old English format. <laughs> so they'll write it these happens. like lengthy messages <laughs> and it's been a fortnight since yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's, and I am privileged sometimes to be CC'd on these messages and I get to enjoy them. But you know, they were, there is something to be said about just like as an educator and Ben can probably back me up on this. Like when you are writing, it is doing something different inside your brain than when you're speaking or than when you're receiving knowledge. When, when like Josh talks to me, different activities are happening in my brain than when I write something out. Mm-hmm. And those, when you're creating things, that's how you become a good speaker. That's how you become a good writer is this, the brain activity that's happening right. when you frequently write. And these guys were writing all the time. I mean, that's a, it's a, it's mm-hmm. becoming a lost art in our culture. The, and if you even look at the difference inside of education and curriculum today versus 
50 years ago versus 100 years ago, it was much more focused and centered on writing than it mm-hmm. would than what we're doing now. And and even as an educator, you think about the amount of and and I'm not opposed to this, like I'm not 100% opposed to this, but a lot of the emphasis for us as educators is to be entertainers. Like education mm. should be engaging and entertaining and yeah. um mm. and it's it's interesting all of those little tiny choices that we've made over the last whether it's you know, you look at the internet, of course, that has a big impact. You have smartphones, that has a big impact. But also just even the basic decisions we're making about how we instruct and how we teach people, it's taking this wonderful, beautiful thing that we have in written language that translates to beautiful oratorical mm-hmm. feats. Yeah. And it's, we're losing that as yeah. a culture. We're, yeah. we're losing that. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning. We have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me. It just gives me security in knowing that if anything happened to me, my family would remain financially stable in my absence. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. 
Imperial whitetail clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover extreme genetic stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. You missed it. I don't know if anybody in here is familiar with it, but Abraham, there's a famous letter that he wrote to a mother of, I think it's the letter to Mrs. Bixby. Yes. Have, uh-huh. you, have you read that? I have. That, I couldn't hey, quote it Lincoln for you. Lincoln wrote it? Mm-hmm. Lincoln wrote it. It's one of we the, just called him by first name now? Yeah, we do. Oh, it's Abraham. one of the Abraham. Most, Part of the loss. most eloquent letters I've ever written. It's, it's a short paragraph he wrote to this lady who had five sons that were killed during yep. like during the Civil War. Mm. I do remember that. It is un it's you know what? I think it actually in, in a movie. Maybe. I can read it right it's here. It's so short. Yeah. That's sure, it. Go ahead. But Renella brought up Lincoln. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what made me yeah. think about this yeah. letter. Read it. All right. I've got like the original version here and I'm trying to see. I've been sh- dear madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the Republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, A. Lincoln. He wrote that. He didn't have a speechwriter. Yeah. That's, that is, yeah. It's pretty emotional. Without, yeah. without backspacing and, and yeah. grammar yeah. correct. Exactly. And, yeah. 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 Dad, what did you think? Well, me and y'all said it all, but, uh, it, you know, I really, 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 really like this. It was just eye-opening. It was, it just created uh, an awe of that culture where orators mm-hmm. ran the world. I mean, mm-hmm. they were the ones. They were the yeah. powerful ones. You know, you think hunters, you think warriors, whatever. Uh, the way he spoke, what was that called? The... Southern something. He's, he's Southern spoken di- dialect. Yeah, yeah, folk type deal. Folk uh, speech. You know his his little comments that he would make about the bear, how how it moved, and, yeah. and you know I loved him like a brother, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we've I think we've lost that. You know, um, one of them mentioned Mark Twain and and Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. I mean. How many kids grew up thinking they were real people? Right. Yeah. I mean, yep. I mean, they they created this illusion that that I, you know these are real people. Yeah. You know, and uh, today we don't need that. We we don't have time for that. I want to turn on the news, get it quick. You know, uh, so I, I was intrigued by that change in our culture where 
you know, writing the written word was powerful. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the sound our, bite. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, and I, I made little notes on all these little comments what that are, are so what cool. You, what are you, what's in your notes? What's well, you know, uh, uh, I mean, because it it helps me to remind me of some of the stuff. There's okay, just so much. Uh, actually, Juju did this as we were coming up here. I yeah. said, make some notes here. Uh, the bar was an unhuntable bear bar uh-huh. who died when his time had come. Yeah. And in other words, I could I could envision that so much. You know, we hear about a guy killing or a girl killing a big old buck, and, and you know they don't know what they're doing. They just look up and shoot it, shoot it off the front porch, and we go that that animal should not have died that way. Right, right. That's and good. and you know his analogy was that that uh, the bear knew his time had come, and there was a spiritual aspect to it that yeah you don't. When you're with your buddies, don't talk about how you're going to hunt this bear because he might might hear you. He might hear you. (laughs) Man, I love that so much. I'm total speculation, but that's what literary critics do Mm -hmm. is is that he insinuated. I mean, basically, Jim Doggett said the bear might have heard me talking about what I was going to do. And that is a legitimate thing inside of for sure the Koyukon people, but probably if you really dissected, would be in other. Native American ideas, but the the Koyukon, you know, we have this research, and they absolutely believed like you don't yeah. you don't talk about a bear, you speak in code. The the example they give in the book, uh, Nelson gave in the book, is he said, Josh, if me if I went out today and found some bear tracks in the snow, and tomorrow I wanted to go and hunt them, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, hey Josh, let's go hunt that bear. I would say, Josh, tomorrow I'm gonna go around the mountain. And uh, probably carry a gun with me. You interested in going? Uh, definitely. <laughs> and you would know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wink. You would know <laughs> what I was talking about. I mean, it, it, this wasn't a joke to them. Yeah. They, they, they lived in a very spiritual world. Yeah. And I just thought that was so interesting. And then there, more is going to come out in later episodes. But Doggett's doctrine about the creation bear and the creation state, very, very Native American feel. And what you're going to learn, and this is foreshadowing, but I'm shining a light on the shadow so that you see what I'm talking about. There's a deep one. Okay. Is that in the, in the Arkansas Delta, there was a thing that was happening that was really unique where the, the, some of the first Europeans that came there were, that, that occupied there were French. And they lived with the Quapaws, and they actually intermarried and mm-hmm. kind of had this weird thing going on yeah. where they just all kind of lived together and got along and traded, you know, for a pretty short period of time. Yeah. But there was a deep indoctrination of some of those backwoods folks and with Native Americans. So it's like Doggett for sure had some Native American yeah. doctrine running in his blood. Dad, tell me what else is on your list. Uh Eyes flashed with so much fire, it would have scorched a cat. Talking about that (laughs) bear. (laughs) Bear shot. Bear shot in forehead and walked down the tree as gently as a lady from a carriage. Yeah. Can't you just see it? Just kind of. Just kind of. Just kind of sashaying down. And then at that point, I think he slapped a dog. 
out of sight. Yeah, it disappeared. Well, I mean, it yeah. disappeared. Well, the hey, let me tell you something. Going back to Thorpe, knowing bear hunting. Yep. Right. I'll tell you, there's one group of people in the world who are experts on bears climbing and coming out of trees. Do you know who it is? Dog hunters. Dog hunters. Dog hunters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I saw a big black bear up a tree, I was in I was in Appalachia in West Virginia, and there was a bear that was treed. I bet he was 60 foot up in some big old gum, you know, big, big tree, setting up there on a limb. And we pulled the dogs off. the. It, it, we weren't hunting. It wasn't hunting season. It was training season. We pulled the dogs back off the tree. And the bear could have come down this pole, this is just this big limbless tree. But he walked across a limb about as big as my leg, probably seven or eight feet, walked across it like a squirrel, <laughs> jumped onto a little sycamore about as big as a telephone pole, and came down at least 50 foot as fast as a gray squirrel could have. Wow. And I'm not kidding you. I've never seen, I mean, a bear hunter is going to be like, well, yeah. Is it, but Thorpe saying, and, and it was just this one smooth motion. And it was so weird because he walked out on this limb, just walked across this limb, jumped on a tree, and slid down it like a fireman. Hey, right there is a perfect example of our culture telling that story. If Thorpe right. had told that story, I mean, you would really be glued to your seat, and it probably would have taken five minutes, <laughs> you know. Uh, now, if who would have told it? Thorpe. What? Yeah, I mean, if he had told what the story you just told, right, right, it would have been so much it more would have colorful, embellished, and yeah, yeah. Well, so we, we, you're saying we, he made a good metaphor that painted it for us, kind of, yeah, in a more simple way. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, it's like this stuff I'm reading. Yeah, this bear moaned in a thicket like a thousand sinners, man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy had some spirituality to him, and a little hey. bit later, he said, "Samson, hey man, if this bear." If Samson yeah, biblical had, reference, he would have whooped Samson. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll, there was so much to talk about, but when he said uh, he said that this bear groaned like a thousand sinners, Th- this was written in 1841. This was a time of massive revival yeah. Yeah. in um, in frontier America. This was something that was connecting with people because there were these kind of charismatic revivals, and people would go into these sessions of repentance and be loud and and, well, and showy and, yeah. and so him saying that connected to people oh but he knew that a bear death moaned how many americans could you walk up to today and say is there anything peculiar that happens when you shoot a bear and it dies i mean i i mean i don't i don't know i don't know how many out of a thousand a thousand random americans i would say 10 maybe, maybe. Less Maybe. than that, probably. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, they have a, a a wild death moan. One of the few animals, I tried to look up all the animals that do it. The only one I know for sure that does is the Cape Buffalo Cape in Buffalo, Africa. yeah. That's really? the only one that's... that. I did not know that. But Dad and I, Mbogo. the first bear that we ever killed, death moaned. And we didn't know that they did that. And uh, But the way he described it was so, was so, He's was so heard cool. He's what else is on your list? That's well, good. Hey, hey, one thing you triggered my thought was I was really um, uh, caught up in the fact that people from the East wanted these stories. I mean, mm-hmm. this was like, please deliver something to us. Yeah. We want to know what y'all are doing 
you know, out west, out west was Mississippi, Arkansas, yeah. you know, um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're the same way today. I, I want to get on the news and I want to find out stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were hungry for these type of stories. Yeah. Um, the bear fell through a fence like a tree falling through a cobweb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we just don't talk that way. Every every little thought he had, he created a, its a own image in your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going like, wow, that's a heck of a bear. Well, when he came over the fence, he came over like black smoke. Yeah. And, and I yeah, mean, yeah. it's like all of a sudden your mind just goes like black smoke. He Holy went from cow. being graceful to barbaric when he mm-hmm. left there. So I tell the story, Josh tells the story, we go around, we tell the story. You know, we put us off in a room, we tell the story. We tell it in five minutes, hunting story's over. This guy, I mean, he's created 10, 15, 20, 30 different stories. My mind just sees this bear running through the woods, being followed by a pack of hounds. Only reason he's running, in my mind, it's entertainment. Once he gets tired... (laughs) He goes, okay, boys, gigs up. I'm going to slap you out of sight or whatever the <laughs> yeah. word is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen a bear navigate an obstacle, it's shocking. If you, if you, I don't think he would have described a deer jumping a fence like a tree falling through a cobweb. Right. He would have described it different. But a bear, they are extremely articulate with all their feet. And they can just move through stuff. I mean, they are some of the most mobile animals and in, in able to move their body. And the description of it coming over the fence like a black mist, it's yeah. just kind of like it's kind of like a ball of jello, just like, yeah, just kind of like, how, how did he do that? What look up on YouTube a bear climbing a chain link fence, hmm. and it just you're just like, how did he do that? It, so Thorpe, interesting. Thorpe had been around bears, I think. I think so too. He yeah. almost had to. How many yeah. times to know that a bear would just stop after he, a little bit? Just goes, man, I'm tired of playing this yeah. game. Yep. And only big bears do that. Yeah. The little bears, the little bears, typically today anyway, will will run and run and run and run and not even tree. The big ones often stay on the ground or just barely get up in trees. The mid-sized bears are usually, I mean, a small, you can tree a small bear, but rarely would you tree a big giant, like five or 600 pound bear. That bear is almost always going to stay on the ground. Yeah. But interesting. Interesting. I thought it was interesting. The conversation you guys had about, you know, the, the one that got away or the, or yeah. the, the, you know, after killing the, the trophy, there's a sense of loss, which made me think that that's why angling is superior to hunting <laughs> so just want everybody because to know that because you can catch and release i mean i can catch a trophy fish on my fly rod put him back and dream about catching him again well now Me and I clay, mean, if you want to go there i we film can do clay it. catch you... and release bears all the time <laughs> yeah. yeah shoot right under him. Uh, now with bear hunting with hounds though it's the catch and release sport man you only kill the ones you want right. just like you with fishing there you go. So it really is. You can tree them and let them go. It's tough to tree a deer, though. Well, yeah. You can, I guess. <laughs> you let them walk. You let them. You can let them walk. Something yeah, no, I never, I, something I, I I never did. Point, <laughs> yeah. I, I see your I got point. a whole house hey, full of dope. I had a guy. I want to play y'all something. 
I had a guy write in. Do you remember I asked people, I said, what do you think he meant by creation bear mm-hmm. and creation state and finishing up state? What do you think, Dad? I think he was putting a spiritual connotation. It was such a magnificent animal. It was beyond belief, especially to the Easterners. They would not believe what he was seeing in the wild. So it had to be here from the beginning. Samson, he would have got whipped by this bear and the state was the same way it was such a magnificent place that's the way i saw it i'm gonna see what what do y'all what do y'all think it's a tough one i i kind of thought i kind of thought a similar thing like like this bear was was spoken spoken from the word of god you know what i mean into the earth and he had just been a fixture you know what i mean he was such a magnificent creature that he'd been a fixture on the earth you know ben I honestly didn't know because, and I used to study a lot of history in that time period, people use words in ways that we don't know. Right. And so just because we think that's what creation means, I honestly have literally no idea what he might have said. And I've never read it. didn't it use like Didn't it do exactly what you feel like the author wanted it to do? Probably so, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt, like you don't hear that and think, oh, this was a inconsequential bear. Yeah, exactly. You hear it and you're like, oh, this is a special yeah. bear. Yeah, it was yeah. very biblical to me, listening or my interpretation of what he was saying. Yeah. Okay, a guy from Pennsylvania sent me this. He must have listened to the podcast at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah. this morning. Clay, I hope this voice memo reaches you well. Um, I just listened to your podcast on on the bear, um, the creation bear, and I just wanted to share my thoughts on, on the, what I think the creation bear means and what the creation state means. I think it's the platonic ideal of a bear. Um, I think he saw that bear as not only sort of the perfect representation physically, but also culturally and spiritually of a bear. Um, and I think the use of creation is interesting because same with Arkansas, I believe he sees it as a, as, you know, these are two things that represent God's hand and they aren't muddied up by worldly impurities. So that guy's name is, uh, Martin Hiley from Pennsylvania. But what he was saying was that it was the representative bear. Undefiled, undefiled by yeah. by anything else, undefiled by the world, and that fits with him saying Arkansas is the creation state, mm-hmm. the perfect state, undefiled by the world, like Eden, I guess. Yeah, like an like an Eden. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. that, that's the beauty of the way he wrote is that you create your own answer. Yeah, you yeah. know, you yeah. see a bear walking exactly. down a tree. Like a lady climbing it off a carriage, yeah. slaps a bear into wherever. I mean, yeah. you know, so you can take that. I think your answer would be correct. We don't know what that means. But to yeah. me, that's what it meant. It, it was, you know, it was bigger than life. Well, it was spiritual. And, and it, it, it created an image of Doggett that we wouldn't have had before. Because it's like, wow, this guy, this guy knows something we don't know. He, 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 and that's, that was... Bob Cochran, we weren't able to include it, but he talked about how this story, from a literary perspective, is really unique in how Doggett is set up, and it's because the city slicker from New Orleans is so anonymous and vanilla. Like, there's no personality to this guy from New Orleans. Like, everybody is, like, little, and Doggett is huge. 
and and Doggett becomes the envy, and people see him, and they're enamored with him, and they're there. It it breaks the stereotypes, like Ranella said, of this country bumpkin, rural backwoodsman, and golly, this guy's deeper than all of us. Yeah. This guy has this robust life. He talks about his dog Bowie Knife being the 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 most a uh, modest dog, but only because he can't talk. Uh, and he's he's the best bear dog in the world. I mean, just he was able to describe life, and like Ranella said, he lived it with this robust lust for life. You yeah. Know? But that create that the creation state and creation bar so interesting. Well, guys, yeah, Dad. What? I was just I, I think you might have alluded to this, but it was Arkansas created for the world or the world for Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was mine. That yeah. was mine. Yeah. You know, you and Ranella really <laughs> I, my hats off to both of you guys on this deal. I think Ranella really hit it hard, you know, What's right cool, to the heart. Steve's so sharp, man. He you know, he's never read that before, had no knowledge of Thomas Bangs Thorpe. Um I gave him that essay. Well, I sent it to him. He printed it off. We were hunting together in Mexico. Here's the backstory. We're hunting together in Mexico. And I knew I was going to be with him and have my podcast stuff. And I said, I want to hear what you have to say about this essay. All I told him. Uh, I told him it was influential and, you know, and gave it to him. He prints it off, takes it to Mexico. And, like, we're like, okay, we got to do this, like, this afternoon. And he's like, okay, well, let me read that essay. And so he reads it. And then we go right into it, and he has like some pretty in-depth analysis uh, analysis of it, yeah. you know. So yeah, he's 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 sharp with literature stuff, and uh, yeah, he was he was cool to have on there. I was disappointed only in one aspect. What was that, Brent? When they said Jim's last name wasn't Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> That's yep. what I was waiting for. He, we 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 wanted him all to all to be our last name, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, for real, yeah, absolutely. Man, I. I, uh, it's, it's interesting to me. So as Newcombs, we're lucky that we had, uh, somebody did a pretty extensive genealogy search of the Newcombs, like uh-huh. our last name. And, uh, there's a book, uh, I think it's Thomas Joseph Newcomb is written on the front of it. One guy from Scotland that came over and it's his genealogy and it goes all and Gary Newcomb's name is in the book. Uh, you know, and and that's how that's how we know our history. History gets lost so easy. Yep. I mean, it, it would be nice to say. It's like, amazing oh, how I, easily it gets lost, even in modern day. Oh yeah. 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 And it's neat for me to think that the first Newcombs came here right about the time this was written and all this was going down, and it was in the early 1830s, before Arkansas was the state, and you know been here ever since i love being connected to the place the next podcast though if you ever thought you wouldn't be interested in something <laughs> you'd be wrong on this one <laughs> and if you think oh, i don't care anything about arkansas you're wrong you do and just don't know it because nobody ever told you the next episode is going to be on arkansas identity and it's fascinating and i think there's a lot of things to be learned just about human nature right but also america yeah inside of this story, which I said it on this one, Arkansas in the 20th century, the 1900s was proclaimed by scholars, like documentably the most ridiculed state in America. It's right where we live. So closing thoughts, anybody? 
I would just say I, I love it gave me a new appreciation for literature and how artists capture the complexity mm. of an experience. I was yeah. thinking about experiences I've had standing next to somebody and have a totally different perspective. And um, I remember one time working on an airplane and my buddy's uh, business where they refurbish airplanes and it was he needed some quick help and called me and another guy in and we'd never had a, any experience there. Worked there for like 10 hours, left it. I was like, that is, uh, I never want to do that again in my <laughs> life. The guy next to me was like, that was amazing on the car ride home. All he could talk about is how much he wanted to work on airplanes and how much he loved that work. And it just, it shows that there's people with a gift that can slow things down and capture the complexity of something. And it makes me want to be more aware of the experiences I have because there's beauty in, in it that I may not have seen before. Mm -hmm. So I, I, liked, I liked that about the writer. That's good. You know, we have a choice of how we let the modern world impact us. Mm -hmm. I mean, just because we talk about all these things coming at us and media pounding us every direction, we we get to choose how we live and how we develop ourselves. Like Misty was talking about how people are, they developed this skill to be able to interpret the world in such a way and communicate that to other people through language. And that was a skill that was built and it's less now. Well, I mean, you got a decision of what you do tonight after the sun goes down, whether you're going to go, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with watching television, but, you know, you, you got a decision of whether you're going to do that or whether you're going to read a book or whether you're going to talk to your family, talk to your family, like actually talk with your family and build, build culture inside of your family. And th these are things I think about, and, and I don't claim to have it dialed in, but it's things I think about. I'm like, man, how can I, how can I not just talk about some of the stuff that we admire in the past? But like, we don't, we don't have to be pushed around by mm -hmm. by modernity. Yep. yep. So, Dad, good to see you. Hey, good to be here, man. My dad lives two hours from me, so I don't see Dad unless he's coming up here. Or I go down there. Yeah. Been a, been a little while. Yep. Yeah, we kicked him out of the house, and they. Right out the door. They didn't just hit the <laughs> and yard. They never came they, back. And they never came back. It's like my brother. My brother told my nephews, "Boys, when you graduate school, you ain't got to go to college. You ain't even got to go to work. You just got to go." <laughs> uh, hey, this podcast comes out on a couple of days before the Black Bear Bonanza in Bentonville. It's it's Bentonville, Arkansas, big all day event. I'll be there. Brent will be there. Ben will be there. Josh will be there. Gary Believer Newcomb will be there. Misty will be there. Misty had to leave. Um, we it's it's going to be a big deal. We're doing a live Bear Grease Render podcast there on site. Made big event. Lots of vendors and stuff going on. Al hooting contest. It'll and you can fun. buy tickets at the door. I mean, it'd be good if you bought them before you get there. But you don't have to. You can just show up. And so that's all day Bentonville, Arkansas. You have to go to the website to get all the details. But hope which to see website? You there. Just the website. They'll figure it out. Coil <laughs> barn. Just the Ar website. Arkansas BHA. <laughs> yeah, yeah they'll, they'll figure it out. All right, guys. Thank you. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. 
They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule and it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.